friend that was called Making Gay Okay. They, let me just read you this. Making Gay Okay, gay okay did some research. They said there's a greater risk in the homosexual lifestyle of certain cancers, syphilis, herpes, HIV, and a list of other diseases. And the net result is the homosexual or bisexual male loses 20 years of life expectancy over a heterosexual male. 20 years, guys. 20 years chopped off someone's life for choosing this lifestyle. Now, I don't know if you know it or not, but if you have a pack of cigarettes and you smoke, you know it's harmful, don't you? Cigarettes will take an average of 13 years of life expectancy off your life. And it has a warning label that says, if you smoke these things, they will kill you. They cause cancer. They will do damage to you physically. And yet the homosexual lifestyle is depicted as okay. So it's not loving. It's not loving to agree with that. It's not loving to say it's okay when we know that that lifestyle is damaging and ultimately kills people. Isn't it? And there's a reason it kills. It goes against God's design. It's dangerous. And anytime you step out of God's design, anytime you step out of God's will, I don't care if it's sexually or any other area of your life, anytime you step out of His design, there are consequences for that. I'm going to give you an illustration here with my umbrella. Anybody superstitious? I'm a little stitious. Little stitious? Yeah. Not super, just a little. What God says, and I heard somebody say, well, why are we picking on homosexuals? And I think that's a really valid question. Because what we need to understand is God's design for sexuality is a man and a woman. Sorry. Man and a woman underneath the umbrella of God's protection in, 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 the, in the beautiful commitment of marriage. And anything outside of that is outside of God's design. Sexuality outside of marriage in, in, in premarital sex is wrong and it's dangerous. Adultery outside of God's design for marriage is dangerous and harmful. Homosexuality, bisexuality, all these things are outside of God's covering of protection. And it's not just rain coming down. What we have to understand is it's acid rain coming down and destroying people's lives. Yet what we're told is we just need to flip everything on its ear. We're going to say what's good is bad and bad is good and what's right is wrong and what's wrong is right. And we're going to flip everything upside down and still expect the same divine protection Blessing and results when we've deviated from God's design. I might need a new umbrella after this. <laughs> it's not loving to say it's okay. This one hurts me the most, guys. Not only is it harmful to those that are trapped in, in the lifestyle, it's very harmful to children that are raised in this environment. I want you to think about this for a second. Those who find themselves in the homosexual situation as a child, a sociology professor, Paul Simmons, at the Catholic University did a study for 13 years from kids ages 15 to 28 that had grown up in this lifestyle. And by 28 years old, the people raised by the homosexual couple are over twice as likely to be depressed. They have elevated risk for child abuse, uh, suicide, obesity, and anxiety, even by age 15. 
The social science research said kids, um, kids in the homosexual environment are 10 times more likely to be touched sexually by a parent or adult caregiver. The Department of Health and Human Services found numerous and significant differences with children of homosexuals, and they rated suboptimal in almost every category. What's that saying? There's an emotional, relational, physiological even, uh, a result of, of living in an environment that God never designed a child to be raised in. And if we care about those kids, we just can't say it's okay, can we? I want to read you a quote by a man who grew up in this uh, environment. His name is Robert Lopez. Listen to this. Listen to this. He says, this is a direct quote. Quite simply, growing up with gay parents was very difficult. And not because of prejudice from neighbors. People in our community didn't really know what was going on in the house. To most outside observers, I was a well-raised, high-achieving child, finishing high school with straight A's. However, inside I was confused. When your home life is so drastically different from everyone around you, in a fundamental way, striking at basic physical relations, you grow up weird. I have no mental health disorders or biological conditions. I just grew up in a house so unusual that I was destined to exist as a social outcast. My peers learned that all the unwritten rules of decorum and body language in their homes, they understood what was appropriate to say in certain settings and what wasn't. They learned both traditionally masculine and traditionally feminine social mechanisms. I had no male figure at all to follow. And my mother and her partner were both unlike traditional fathers or traditional mothers. As a result, I had very few recognizable social cues to offer potential male or female friends since I was neither confident nor sensitive to others. Thus, I befriended people rarely and alienated others easily. There's a price. There's damage. And we can't say it's okay and just look the other way. The price of our tolerance is our next generation. The price of you and I just acquiescing to the pressures of society and saying, no, you know what, it's okay in that lifestyle. The, the, the price will be our next generation. As I look around the room, I'm just going to tell you that's too high of a price for us to pay. It's too high, guys. I'm not willing to pay that price. Now, I saved myself a lot of time for this one. And I've been praying all week that you guys receive this well. Here's the question. Go ahead. Are people born homosexual? Are they born that way? Because if they are, then, then there's a whole different dynamic that needs to happen. And maybe we need to reassess what the Bible says. So let's talk about this, guys. I just want you to know, based on what I did in my research, there is zero evidence for this to be true. There is zero empirical evidence that people are born with a homosexual lifestyle in them. But, but, we do need to acknowledge that some people are prone to this sin while many others are not. Can we acknowledge that? I'm going to show you why we can acknowledge that. Some people are more prone to this sin than others. And it's not genetic. It's not genetic. Well, Maybe it has a little part to play. In fact, let's think of it this way. Let's talk about alcoholism for a second. 
That's another thing plaguing our society. Is that right? And some people can be responsible and drink a drink or two of alcohol and set it down and, and not be tempted to go further. Yet there's some, if, if, if we're just being honest about what the condition is, there's some that take a drink and they lose all control. Is that true? Does anybody know that situation? And they lose all control. Well, there's... We wouldn't say that if someone's an alcoholic but they had a propensity to that, if they were in a car accident they had driven drunk and had killed people and there was wreckage and damage and lives and families torn apart, we wouldn't say it's okay, would we? And there's no wreckage, metal twisted in these homes, but there is the wreckage of, of confusion and hurt and emotional damage in our kids. And so I'm going to try to give you an explanation of where this comes from, where this comes from. And I stole this. I'm going to be, uh, be honest with you. I stole this from a man named Ricky Shalette. He's He founded Living Hope Ministries 30 years ago, and it's a ministry that helps people in this lifestyle. In fact, he was somebody that was once in this lifestyle. Now he's a pastor at a prominent church in Arlington, Texas, has both a psychology and a theology background. And this is his explanation for how this happens in the life of a kid. Okay, so we have dad. I'm going to try to draw big. I tested this, and I got to draw big for you all to see it. Dad, don't judge me. My art's not good. And mom. And they have, because I understand it better than the other, a boy. We're going to use male sexuality today. Plus, male sexuality is way far simpler (laughs) than female sexuality. So that's our test case today, okay? That's our test case. And what we want to do is try to help you get an understanding. Now, uh, it, Ricky has done counseling with men particularly for 30 years, and he's identified basically two basic categories for males. And I know if you have a psychology major, you're thinking two categories. Pff, that's ridiculous. But he calls them, just stay with me a second, rough and tumble and sensitive males. Now, let me describe these. Rough and tumble and sensitive. Now, I'm writing an arrow here because there's a continuum in this one and there's a continuum in this one, okay? But rough and tumble males, let me just try to describe this. These are males that express their emotions physically. Uh, they like mechanical things and doing things with their hands. They like uh, they um, they operate in groups, and so they run in, in groups and packs with other men and other boys, and they gravitate toward team sports, And uh, in his counseling, he says 95 to 97% of males identify themselves in this category. I almost wore my Falcon shirt just so I would feel like a rough and tumble. (laughs) So he says the sensitive male, that leaves us 3 to 5% of men uh, identify themselves in this category. Let me describe them. They internalize their emotions, internalize their emotions, uh, they like creative things. They like academia and they like being creative like the arts. Uh, they like to operate independently, more of a loner, and they gravitate towards individual sports like tennis or golf or things like that. Now, what's very interesting in his all of his 30 years of talking with men, every time he asks a man that claims to be homosexual which category they they are in, every time. Every time they identify themselves in that category. 
Now, what we're not saying is if you were born this way, that you are born homosexual. That's not what we're saying. But what it is saying, in fact, some of the great men, these are the dreamers and visionaries and the people that rock our world. He even said Martin Luther King Jr. was one of these men that were just so visionary and thought differently than other men that they were used by God in a very great way. Now, it doesn't mean that you are, sens- uh, that you are born homosexual, but it does make an allowance for it. Are you with me? You guys with me? Let's see how this happens. Um, I'm going to give you three A's. Every dad, what, what a son needs from every dad, dad must provide three things for every boy, and they're three A's. You might want to write these down, dads. Every boy, and I think girls are similar to this, maybe a little different wordage, every kid and every child needs from dad three things. The first one is affirmation. Affirmation. This is a verbal thing, affirmation. And if you're a guy that's not verbal, this is a challenge. But then you need to be telling your son, you are good enough and you are strong enough to be a man and you're a fine young man and just be uh, reaffirming verbally who they are and what God is causing them to become. That's affirmation. And every young boy longs for this. Secondly is every young man needs attention, attention. Now, this was verbal. Attention is nonverbal. Attention is being, uh, being a part of their lives and being involved with what they are involved with. If they like Pokemon Go, then you take them to the gym and to the, what's the other one, the Pokestop. <laughs> and I have done these things. Uh, but here's, here's the really uh, neat distinction. The rough and tumble and the sensitive are different when it comes to how they receive attention. The rough and tumble boy, he needs proximity. He just needs to be near dad. And if dad says, hey, let's go to the ball game and watch the, the basketball or football or baseball, or let's go hunting and sit in a deer stand, or let's go do these things, son, the son says, yeah, I'm in, because I just want to be close to dad. The sensitive boy is different. Proximity isn't good enough. He longs for something more than that. He longs for presence. And he wants to go eyeball to eyeball with dad and look in dad's eyes and know that they're connecting on a deeper emotional level. And most dads, 95 to 97% of us are rough and tumble. We, if you're rough and tumble, you are not comfortable looking another man or boy in the eye for five seconds straight. I could go around the room and pick, you know, weird you guys out. Every boy needs that. Every boy needs affection. Affection. Affection is about physical touch. Physical touch. Hugging, patting, uh, wrestling, high-fiving, fist-bumping, whatever it looks like. Every, Every person on the planet and every young boy longs for an affectionate touch from his father. Because that's how we know what a good touch is. That's how we understand what good touch is. We learn it from dad as he touches us well. You guys with me? Now let's play these three things. Actually, let me give you a life cycle. Uh, I learned so much this last two months. It's awesome. I'm sharing it with you. Um, This is the the general life cycle uh, stage development of a child, a boy, a young boy. Let's go 4 through 10. Again, this is from Ricky. Um, 11 through 16, so um, 17 plus. 
So each, there's certain distinct phases of a child's life that there's different phases that they go through developmentally. And from zero to three years old, every little boy and every little, little girl need to bond with mama and dad. Mama and dad. That means dad has to do the diapers sometimes. Right? Zero to three, they need mama and daddy. But a little boy, when he hits four to ten, there's six years there that they need three things to happen to them. Three distinct things. And the first thing is, is they need to connect on a deeper level with dad. They need to feel close to dad, four through ten. They also need to connect deeply with their peers, with their peers. They need a group of guys to accept them as part of the tribe. They need to, they need to know that there's, there's some buddies in their life and they need to feel connected to some pals. Every time I, my son talks about his friends, I say, that's good, man, because everybody needs pals. Everybody needs buddies. And mamas, I know this is going to break your heart. But in 4 through 10, he needs to in some ways disconnect from mama. Disconnect from mama. He's going to change. Your mama's like, whoa. (laughs) He's going to start testing his boundaries as a young man. He's going to want to gravitate toward the things that dad does. And he's going to think the things that mom does are stupid. (laughs) And this is a normal developmental uh, cycle for a young man. Now, let's take these two rough and tumble and sensitive through, um, through the scenario. So they're in that four to 10 year old age. And remember, these guys are into individual things and they're different than their peers. And so, uh, they may be different than dad. Let's actually, let's do rough and tumble first. So he likes the same things dad does. And when dad takes him somewhere, he goes. So he feels connected with dad. And he runs in groups, and so he's doing group sports, and he's, uh, he's doing things with his buddies, and so he feels accepted by his peers. And then it's very natural for him to pull back emotionally from his mom. And so the rough and tumble boy gets his man card, and he feels accepted by a man. And this thing called masculinity, he feels very connected to. He feels like he understands it. He feels like he's a part of that tribe, and there's, and there's really a connection there. You with me? Now, let's take the sensitive male. He's different than dad. He has different likes. Maybe dad's not present. Maybe dad's uh, uninvolved. Maybe, here's the worst scenario. Let's say dad and son have tried to connect, but they're vastly different, and they can't seem to get through and break the ice and and really understand and connect with each other. And so they each get rejected and feel rejected by the other. And so he doesn't connect with dad. And when you get to be 8, 9, 10 years old, you start finding bullies. And they don't pick on each other. They find the sensitive kid and they pick on him. And they don't connect with their peers and they become isolated from their peers. And since this is a roadblock and this masculinity thing, he hasn't figured out, he still needs affirmation and attention and affection. So guess where he goes to get it? He goes to mom. He finds it in mom. And mom is all too willing. I, I don't blame her a bit, but she's all too willing to give that to him. And this thing called masculinity, he's very familiar with what is feminine. But this thing called masculinity is a mystery. It's a mystery. He deeply wants to know it and understand it and be a part of it, but he can't. 
when this rough and tumble guy, you get through 4 through 10, somewhere in that 11 through 16, remember we talked about hormones last week? And I'm going to keep it PG-11. But when those hormones kick in and you feel very comfortable with your masculinity as a young man, but you feel that feminism, this is a mystery, then you begin to explore naturally what this sexuality is with the feminine side. But flip it. When those emotions and those feelings and those hormones kick in, and this is a mystery, yet this is known, then what you're naturally drawn to then is potentially the masculine. Here's the key. Right about here, somewhere in this 11 through 16, if you are, uh, if you are in an uh, openly homosexual arrangement, like in a family, or if there's an incident where somebody touches you sexually and they're of the same sex, that is a very key point that would draw a young boy to the homosexual lifestyle. I don't know if you know it, one out of, girl, one out of four girls, uh, there's some form of sexual abuse in their life, and one out of six boys. And when that happens, and this dynamic is in place, and that that moment and those hormones and all that comes, then you then that boy can be drawn to a lifestyle God never intended. I want to say this very clearly. See, homosexuality in its essence is not about sex. It's about meeting needs, legitimate needs of affirmation and attention and affection that you long for from another man, from your father or for another man because you think another man might be able to give you those things. And so the homosexual will look for it in an illegitimate way for very legitimate needs. And the reason they don't stay together is because there's two males looking from the other guy to give them what they don't have themselves. What I would say to you this morning is God's got a God's got a better way. And our identity is not wrapped up in our sexuality. Our identity should be wrapped up in the fact that we were made in the image of God and that we are his children. And God says change is possible. I want to close with this first. Listen to this. This is 1 Corinthians 6. Paul says this, Neither the sexually immoral, nor adulterers, nor, uh, I'm sorry, idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. Did you see that last word I just read? Circle that, underline it. That is what some of you were, meaning they were once uh, defined by those sins and defined by those lifestyles, yet God intervened and God changed their path. Listen to how he does it. He says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. God says when Jesus Christ enters in, He can not only save you from your sin, He can sanctify you and renew you and change your your sexual identity. He can change every sin that is true about you and He can make it new again. That is what some of you were. 
See, justifies means that you were, um, that you were um, once guilty before God, yet God in His righteousness found Jesus Christ's payment to be sufficient, and now you are justified or just as if you've never sinned, and you are clean in the eyes of God. And then he says you're sanctified. And sanctification means that once God justifies you, he goes to work to begin to renew you and change you from the inside out so that every sin that once had a hold of your life is slowly killed. Remember we talked about it last week. It is put to death in our lives. So the million-dollar question, guys, is how do we respond? How do we respond? Can I say very clearly, if you have a friend or a family member who's in the homosexual lifestyle, the number one thing you need to do is not get out your Bible and preach to them. The number one thing you don't need to do is to, to disown them and shun them. The number, thing, one, number one thing you need to do is love them and be their friend. Love them and be their friend. Love them with the love of Christ. Don't shy away from what you believe either and accept their popular uh, notions and opinions. See, we can love them. See, there's not a dichotomy here. We don't have to choose truth or love. We can be truthful and loving. And we can love people without accepting their assumptions. We can love them without accepting their assumptions. Hey, I was born that way. I I don't agree with that, but I love you just the same. As a church, how do we respond Guys, what we need to understand, there, is, there are so many confused people in our own community. What we need to decide is we need to be able to bring them here, love them here. We want them coming to our church. We want them involved in our small groups. And we will, if you bring a friend who is, who is wrestling with these issues, we will love them, I promise you. We say no perfect people allowed at our church, and we mean that. See, we don't shun people who are confused in their faith. We don't shun people who are confused in how to have a marriage. We don't confuse, we don't shun people in our church who are confused in their purpose. And so we're not going to shun people who are confused sexually. We're going to love them. If you're a parent, if you're a parent, you need to have a talk with your kids. If they're PG 13 and up, I mean, you need to ask them, do you agree with what God says about sexuality? Do you agree that these things are true or not true? You need to ask your kids, are you experiencing any kind of confusion in this area? And not judge them and not be harsh on them if they say, yeah, I'm, I'm struggling or I, I'm not sure what I think. And if they are struggling with this, guys, we have to believe and you should ask them, do you believe God can change you? Do you believe God can renew you? Here's my last little, how do we respond? If that's you, if you're struggling with this, maybe you've never acted on it, maybe you have, maybe you're wrestling with it in your thoughts or behavior, you need to know something. We love you and God loves you. He loves you. And you can have victory in this area of your life just like Paul wrote about, that you once were these things. Can I tell you something? We want to help you with that. But first of all, before we get help, we just want you to know this is a safe place. This is a safe place to wrestle with sin because we're all doing it. This is a safe place to say, I'm not okay. And this is a safe place to say, I need help because we all do. And my challenge to you, if that's you, if you're struggling, find one person to confide in. 
find one person to go to and say, you know what, I'm struggling with, with my sexual confusion. And confide. If you don't have that person, you come find me, and I won't tell another soul. I'll just love you. Will you pray with me this morning? Father in heaven, we know what society says about this, and yet on the flip side, we know the hard, uh, even harsh stance that the church is is, uh, identified itself with. God, somewhere in between there, there is biblical truth, and there's grace and compassion and love. And Father, we just need to know how to love people without taking every one of their assumptions. So, Father, all around this room, I know you're challenging us. There may be people in our life that are struggling in this lifestyle, that you've put us in their life, and we are to love them well. To treat them as peers. To treat them with grace. To not, to not just swallow hook, line, and sinker everything they tell us, but simply to love them and give them the truth. And Lord, I'm not fooled with a room this size. I guarantee, I know for a fact, God, there's people in this room struggling with their friends or struggling themselves with sexual confusion. And so, Father, this morning, I'm not asking anyone to raise their hands or to stand up or to otherwise indicate if that's them. But God, right where they are, would you speak truth into their life this morning? God, would you remind them that you love them? There's nobody that you love more than them. And you want to walk through that confusion with them. You want to breathe hope and life into them. Someday you want to be able to say of them, that is what you were. But right now, what you are is you are my child and I love you. And because of the grace of Jesus Christ, we can mess up today and your grace is still there. God, I pray you would deliver those that are wrestling with sexual orientation and sexual confusion. God, would you deliver them from any lies that they're believing? God, would you deliver them from uh, any hooks relationally that are keeping them there? God, would you deliver them from a lifestyle that is so destructive. God, we praise you in your mercy that you're enough. We praise you that you are the heavenly father that speaks attention and affection and affirmation into our lives that we desperately need. Thank you for being enough, Father. In Jesus' name.